and welcome to Gilmore Ball Z, a podcast where I show my husband Gilmore Girls. He shows me Dragon Ball, and we try to find some sort of common ground. I'm Paige. And I'm Grant. And today we watched Gilmore Girls Season 6, Episode 10, and Dragon Ball Z Kai, Episode 131. So Grant, what happened on Gilmore Girls? Oh geez, so there were three discrete plots on Gilmore Girls. We had like a Lorelai and Rory plot, a Luke plot, and a lane plot. I'm gonna get the lane plot out of the way because it's a lane plot, so it has nothing to do with anything. Nope. Um, and actually, it can be summarized pretty quickly. Uh, the band finally got their first big show where there was going to be somebody from a record label present. So, like, this could really be their big break where they get discovered. Uh, and, like, they're the headliners. They're not just, like, a, an opening act. They're the headliners at the showcase for... Although they didn't seem to have an opening act. They didn't seem to, no. Um, but... It's a showcase with record label people present. So it's like kind of a big deal. Uh, at this, we also find out that like as we're kind of leading up to this, we find out that there's kind of a weird thing with their band where for starters, it seems like Zach does all of the songwriting, which is a little weird. And all of his songs have other girls names in them. Yeah. And at first, there's actually a reasonable response to this, which is that you'll get more radio airplay if your song has a girl's name in it, because people will call and request that song for their girlfriends because they have the same name. Yeah. Which is actually really clever. Like, that's a clever thing of like, oh, that would be an interesting way to like organize your music so you can milk more airtime out of it. Um, but Lane starts to get a little insecure about it because Zach keeps writing all of these songs up that are like love songs about girls and none of them are called Lane. So she's just kind of peeved about this, especially when he wrote one about a Lorraine, which you could easily make work. And he's like, oh man, no, nah, Lane isn't like a, isn't it does it, I don't know it doesn't have that that rock sound you can't rhyme things with Lane no one's ever written a famous song about Lane like okay the Beatles beg to differ um and well and just like Brian points out like pain game yeah like rain. also there's a shitload of stuff that rhymes with like that's a really easy name to rhyme with but he just like isn't doing it for some reason that is not thoroughly explained just because he's an asshole. I mean, I guess you don't need a better reason than that when it comes to Zach. Yeah, this this entire episode is just because Zach is a horrible person. Yeah. Um. So, like, Brian kind of sticks up for Lane a little bit and is trying to convince Zach that, like, this is a thing that he should do Um. because then Zach also is like, you know how it is? I think about people from my past and... That's how I get inspiration to write music. So it's not quite, the connection isn't quite made, but you can very easily make the connection yourself that all these songs are about random chicks that Zach has slept with. Yep. Um, which, classy, dude. And so that's happening. And just so we can see a couple times of the episode that just this weird tension is rising between Zach and Brian, except not really because it's entirely from Zach and Brian really doesn't care. Um, yeah. Where they're at the music shop and Brian just starts like, plucking out something on the piano that he's been working on. Like, oh, it sounds nice. Like, that's a, that's a dope tune. Do you have any lyrics? He's like, well, I'm still working on it, but uh, it's actually called Lane. Like, we were talking the other day about how you can't do that, and so I thought I'd take it on as a challenge, so I'm writing a song about Lane. And Lane is kind of charmed by it. Zach sees it as threatening to their relationship, um, which would have been more interesting than the plot we actually got. Yeah, especially because... We don't get any of the lyrics. So for all we know, the lyrics are like, I'm so glad we're friends and you're a dope drummer. And I'm glad you're dating your boyfriend because I think you're great together. Yeah. Like, we, we learn nothing more about this song. Yeah. But like, honestly, as cliche as it is, I would be more invested if our lane plot was that like Brian was pining after her this entire time. Yeah. Uh, Because even though Brian's kind of a weenie, he's infinitely better than Zach. Yep. Um, None of them are Dave, though. None of them are Dave. None of them will ever be Dave. R.I.P. Dave. So this boils over to where they go to their gig. Zach shows up late, like, with no time for sound check. Insists on using these fancy wireless mics that he bought without consulting the band. 
And I have to say, with all love for you, I completely understood the complaint of, like, right before we're going to do something important with audio equipment, we have an entirely new setup. Mm, no, it's I, I, deeply I, I, stressful. Yes. Uh, so, like, he comes with that. He's brought in a new band member. Is some guy on the tambourine? Yeah, which weird thing. I looked it up because I was curious. The guy is actually a professional tambourinist named Joel. Like, they kept his name. And he is the tambourinist for a band. Uh, not the band name you'd expect to have a tambourine, man. Uh, the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Huh. So uh, that was a weird little Amy Sherman Palladino nod. Moving on. Yeah, so it was like, hey, we got a tambourine now. I got this fancy-ass mic so I can stage dive and stay mic'd up. Also, we're throwing out our entire set list, and I'm just going to call out what we're playing. And all the rehearsal we did was pointless. And everyone's like, Zach, what the hell? Zach, what the hell? And he's like, no, man, this is my band. And the curtain rises on them, and he's like, what the hell? I go on when I want to go on, like Axl Rose, because if there's any, like, rock and roll frontman you want to emulate, it's Axl Rose. Yeah. Like, Axl Rose, that's the one, that's the guy you're you're trying to emulate here. Notorious douchebag Axl Rose. Yeah, I want to be, be clear here. We've hated on Zach a lot on this podcast, and rightly so. But he has been kind of a passive douche for this entire show, and this is, like, active, you know, it goes to 11 douchery. Yeah, like, up until this point, you're right, it's been passive, it's been, like, it's been, you could you could write all of it off as him just being kind of dumb. Yeah. Like, most of his stuff that's been shitty in the past, you can write it off as he's just kind of an idiot. And give him a little bit of leeway there of, like, I don't understand why Lane's dating him, but, you know, he's just kind of a big dummy. But now it's like, oh, no, this isn't just I'm dumb and wasn't thinking about it, or I'm dumb and bad with social situations, or whatever. This is just I'm being a selfish asshole for no reason. Yeah. So he basically throws a tantrum on stage where everyone's like, Zach, what are you doing? And like, anytime Brian looks at him, he freaks out. So trying to kick Brian. And and then he also tells them to play a song they haven't learned yet. Yeah, he's like, we're going to play this song that like, I only just haven't even finished writing and you guys haven't learned yet. And they're like, Zach, what the hell? And the crowd starts booing them and throwing shit at them. While Rory just stands and records it on a camcorder. <laughs> um, yeah. And it legit evolves into a brawl on stage. Zach takes a swing at Brian, so Gil jumps in to try to, like, take down Zach. And Lane tries to get them all to stop fighting. And it's literally a big fist fight on stage. Yeah. It's a disaster. Yeah. So we cut to Zach outside the, the, the venue, just kind of sitting on the steps cooling off and lane comes over and is like zach what the hell and he's like i don't know man like why don't you go ask brian and she's like brian has nothing to do with this we worked really really hard for years to get to this point and this was our first big shot with our record label and you blew it for no fucking reason like she lets him have it and he's like well i guess this is why people in a band shouldn't date like that explains anything yeah. And she's like, well, I guess not. And the storm's off. And I guess that counts for a lane plot. Um, Luke plot. Luke isn't sure what to do about the April situation. Who, yeah, the fact that he has a daughter. Yeah, so if you'll recall last episode, he has a daughter who's 12 years old that he didn't know about. Uh, so he's just kind of, he's not telling Lorelai about it. And he's just kind of awkward and not sure how to handle it for a bit. Um, and he talks to Liz about it, his older, his younger sister. He talks to his younger sister, Liz, about it and confides the whole story in her. And she's basically like, I don't even remember what advice she gave him because that scene was so forgettable. What did she even tell him after he? I don't remember. She was just like, oh, that's great. I love, you know, Anna Nardini. I thought she was a great girl. You've got a kid. This is so great. I'm going to go burn some more food. Yeah, I guess. Um, and then I don't know if she actually even gave advice. She, just she might not was have. Like, this he, is great, Luke. He's just like, I guess I don't know what to do about it. Because like he feels, on the one hand, she's his daughter. And he feels a responsibility there. But on the other hand, like 
Her mother doesn't seem to want any help. She doesn't seem to want any help. They seem to be doing just fine on their own. Is he obligated to do anything about it? Like, he ge- he has a genuine reason for not being around. He genuinely did not know. And they don't really seem to want him there. Like, they don't seem to really care about whether or not he gets involved. So, yeah. like, is does he have an obligation to do anything? And moreover, if he insists on trying to be a part of her life now when they both seem to not be interested in him being a part of their lives. Is that him intruding? Like, does he have a responsibility to not take part? Right. Which are all very interesting conundrums that are not adequately explored at all in this episode. No. Um, and all could be explored with his fiance. Yeah. We're all. Yeah. There is still no, like, I want to be clear. There is still no stated reason of why he hasn't told Lorelai. The only thing he says about why he hasn't told Lorelai is just that the drama with Rory is only just settling down now. And it seems like it's been a relatively short period of time. All of this has been elapsing. So I would believe that he and Lorelai just haven't gotten that room to breathe for him to mention it. Because like the only interactions he's had with with Lorelai are when she rushed into the diner to say Rory was back. And when yeah. she and Rory came back to eat at the diner later, which were both times that were about Rory and about Lorelai, and he doesn't want to intrude on that, which... Right, but he doesn't even say, hey, when things calm down, can we talk? I've got something important. There's, like, zero attempt to communicate any of this. Yeah, it's complicated, but it is... He I... finds time to tell his sister. Yeah, I'm on the fence about that until this doesn't... episode. He doesn't trust instead of, you know, his fiance, but okay. Yeah, I'm on the fence about that until this episode, because later in this episode, he doesn't get an opportunity to talk about it, and he doesn't. Um, So he then, like, basically, Suki's throwing a big Thanksgiving dinner at the inn for reasons that are never adequately explained. And yeah. Liz is throwing a big Thanksgiving dinner for her Renaissance Fair friends for reasons that are never adequately explained. But... Liz burns all her food, and so they all end up going over to the inn to eat with Suki for her thing. I'm not really sure why that was happening. Yeah, this episode was weird because it felt like a Thanksgiving episode that got combined with something else. So it wasn't like a themed episode like a lot of shows do, where it was like felt like it was centering around Thanksgiving. It just happened to be happening the same week as Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving was involved. It's like the movie Searching with John Cho, which is a really good movie if you haven't seen it. Uh, but it's one of those found footage movies where the whole thing is just displayed through screens. And it's John Cho trying to find his missing daughter. Really, really good movie. Edge of your seat. Excellent stuff. Highly recommend. But there's it's almost a running gag or like a weird Easter egg thing where as you're seeing him like the whole premise is he's searching for his daughter so as you see him trying to track down his missing daughter through like google searches and checking the news and stuff you can see in the background that like the government has discovered a strange like uh structure in antarctica and like they're unearthing something that might be uh, uh, like the U.S. government claims it's a Russian superweapon and vice versa, and then it turns out it's aliens, and like there's a weird first contact with aliens thing happening, all in the margins of this very grounded, very human story. Or even just like that episode of Community where Abed's delivering a baby in the background. I guess that's a less weird example. Um, <laughs> this felt like that, where it was a normal episode of Gilmore Girls where there happens to be Thanksgiving stuff happening, and it really didn't need to be a Thanksgiving episode. No. Um... But during that, Luke, like, Suki asks for Luke's help carving the turkeys, but he's obviously not in it. Like, he's in his own head, and so he's fucking up carving the turkey, and so... Yeah, it was unclear if he was, like, really actually screwing up the turkey or if Suki's just a perfectionist. Hard to tell, but he's just like, whatever. And then he goes and he ducks into a back room and tries to call April, and he gets the voicemail and so he hangs up before leaving a message and just kind of has a little freak out moment so there's one more scene with luke but we got to go back and do the lorelei and rory plot it is also quite short um lorelei meets up with christopher because she goes and actually listens through that 
voicemail that he left and he has really good news and he needs to talk to her. So she goes and meets with Christopher at a random diner and he's like, hey, my grandfather died. It's okay. He was like 98, had a great long life, passed peacefully, you know, the best anybody can ask for. But the important thing is he was super, super rich and I was always his favorite. So now I'm filthy rich. And it's it's purposely nebulous how filthy rich he is. He's not Bill Gates rich by a long shot, but he can just like do anything. Basically he's money is immaterial to him. Apparently now uh, he has his daughter Gigi set up through like, you know, med school and beyond if she wants, he's set aside enough money that his daughter will never want for anything. And like he bought himself a new motorcycle and a bunch of new fancy stuff. And he's, you know, paid off all of his debts and everything. And like, he's got himself comfortable. His younger daughter is going to be comfortable for the rest of her life. So he says, look, I want to do right by you and Rory. I know I was never around. I know I didn't contribute my fair share. I, I, I have the ability to make it up now and I want to. So, I want to say it's a weird focus on like giving stuff to Lorelai with Rory as almost an afterthought. Yeah, it was. You'd think he would have contacted Rory in the first place, especially because he has a daughter who is currently in college. So you'd think the first call would be, "Hello." I would like to pay for your college. Yeah, because he didn't know that she was out of college. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's like, "I can get you anything. Do you want a new car? Do you want a new house? Do you want a castle? Do you want a Civil War cannon?" Like he's just trying to buy Lorelai off with things? Except he's not even trying to buy her off. Like, he genuinely doesn't seem to want anything. Yeah, no, he doesn't know what to do with his money. No, he just has, he's just flush with cash and just wanting to buy off his guilt, I guess. I, I want to tell Christopher about something called giving your money away to charity. Right? Like, right? <laughs> he obviously is not getting joy from this and it's not sparking joy for him. Like... Feed some hungry kids for a minute. Yeah, like, go fund a school. Like, what the hell, dude? Um, And so Rory passes it, or Lorelai passes the message on to Rory, and she's like, well, if he paid for my school, I wouldn't owe Grandma and Grandpa anything anymore. So maybe that would be good. And so the three of them meet up, and they decide that's what they're going to do, and it's great. And so then Christopher's like, hey, what happened to Emily and Richard? And Lorelai's like, it's a long story. I don't want to get into it. She was taking a break from school, but she's back now. Everything's fine. Yeah, that's basically Lorelai, this episode. Um, Quick detour. Rory's like, by the way, Logan and I are on a break. But then later she gets a phone call from Honor, who's like, hey, Logan told me that you broke up. I'm sorry, but hey, we can still be friends. So Rory's yeah, it like, turns out not communicating is miscommunicating. Yeah, so Rory's like, oh no, I guess we're broken up. Yay, Rory plot. Um, mm-hmm. And so then near the end of the episode, Lorelai and Luke end up pulling one another aside during this big Thanksgiving dinner. And, she, and she's like, hey, by the way, and summarizes everything that happened with Christopher. And Luke's cool with it. He's like, you know, that makes sense. I'm sorry I freaked out earlier. He's her father. He's helping her out. That's great. It's cool. We're cool. And there's this weird thing where he's like, yeah, I mean, that's what dads need to do. Dads need to be there for their kids and help provide. And like, he's just, he's doing, he's doing what he needs to do. And it's this weird thing where like, he almost is talking about himself, but we don't get the next beat for him of what he does with that information that that he has this self revelatory moment as he's talking about it, but we don't see what he does with it in the same episode, which is weirdly disjointed. And also this would be a perfect opportunity for Luke to be like, Hey, weird, awkward left turn, but something happened to me the other day Yep, and we need to talk about it. And he just doesn't. Nope. And just like, yeah, you're being open and honest with me. We're good. I'm not going to be open and honest with you. That's not going to come back to bite me. Yep. And that's basically what happened on Gilmore Girls. Did I miss anything? No. No, that's basically it. What happened this week on Dragon Ball Z Kai? So on this week on Dragon Ball Z Kai, as we pick up from last week where Bobbity is telepathically communicating with the entire world and tells them, hey, if you don't give up these three people... I will kill all of you. So he shows everyone in the world an image of Piccolo, 
Goten trunks. He shows everyone in the world Boo levitating all the residents of a city, turning them into hard candy, and eating them because Boo's thing is just turning people into sweets. Um, somebody could tell Boo that sweets exist everywhere, but no one has. So Babidi tells everyone that if you don't turn in these three people, we will have turned the entire world into sweet treats and eaten them in the next five days. Which seems questionable from a speed standpoint, but I'll have more questions about that later. The Z fighters are horrified and they argue between themselves about whether or not they should maybe stop this, but decide that no, whatever happens to them, they can unwish with the Dragon Balls. More questions about that later. And that really what's important right now is making sure everyone is alive and there so they can teach them fusion. So Goku doesn't let Piccolo turn himself in because it when Goku's 24 hours are up, he'll need to teach the kids fusion if Goku is gone. So the plot for that ends with Goku training Piccolo, Trunks, and Goten about fusion. A little more about that in a second, but uh, the other plot we've got for this episode uh, that Gohan... The Supreme Kai and Kabito are on the Supreme Kai planet. And, like, Kabito has the whole, like, sidekick who's in love with the guy he's sidekicking for feel this entire episode where he's super... <laughs> like, it's like... We've been watching a lot of 30 Rock. It's like Jonathan, uh, Jack's assistant, where he gets very jealous of Gohan getting the attention from the Supreme Kai... I mean, it's Smithers. Yeah, it's Smithers. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm sure you can trace it further back yeah. than that, but but the the, the version of that, that trope that most people are familiar with. Uh, yeah, the version he, of that trope that most people are familiar with is Mr. Burns and Smithers. Yeah, um, and so he's angry that the Supreme Kai brought Gohan to this planet that only the you know most supreme of Kais are supposed to visit. Not even the lower level Kais like King Kai are supposed to be able to visit here. Definitely not a mortal, definitely not a dead mortal with his clothes all ripped off, which makes it sound much more sexual than it is. Uh, the Supreme Kai makes Kabito heal Gohan and replace his clothes with Supreme Kai clothes because Kabito also has a clothes beam. Let us point out that so far that the clothes beam only used on Gohan. It's true. Um, and we learn that there's something called the Z sword. Uh, the Z-Sword is a sword that is embedded in a stone, which might sound familiar uh, to people who know even the tiniest bit about Arthurian lore, and that you have to be super, 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 super worthy to pull this thing out of the stone. So it's a little bit sword in the stone, maybe we can call it Mjolnir, whatever, I don't care. You have to be worthy to hold it, and he thinks that Gohan is worthy, so they all are on this planet so they can fly over to the sword and see if Gohan can wield it. Uh, my main question is that, uh, to clarify, the sword in the stone was not Excalibur, those are different swords, but if there's an Excalibur and a Z sword, where is the Y sword? <laughs> um... We also, I want to call out that we get some uh, even worse parenting than usual from Goku in this episode. Um, the way that Goten and Trunks find out that they have to learn this fusion method is that they wake up in a strange bedroom after being punched out by Vegeta. So they were punched out by one of their dads. They wake up in this strange room. Popo is there. He gives them some food. Uh, Trunks is yelling at Goten about how his table manners aren't good enough, and they yell back and forth, and then Popo comes in, it's like, hey guys, and then they all get in a big ol' brawl, uh, until Goku comes out and he's like, hey, you're beating up Mr. Popo, stop that, and explains to them what the situation is, and he's like, by the way, your brother and father are dead, and so Trunks and Goten start crying uncontrollably because they are five-year-olds who were told that, you know, one of their fathers and one of their older brothers, who is basically a father to him, uh, both died. And Goku gets mad at them because he says, stop crying, there's no time to be sad, you need to avenge them. <laughs> this is his way of dealing with uh, two five-year-olds who just learned that their parents are dead. Um... He just keeps telling them that they don't have time to stop crying. They need to take on this huge burden and save the world because that's going to put them in the state where they're most able to comprehend this. Uh, they ask, like, maybe should we use a hyperbolic time chamber? Uh, a, so we actually have time to prepare for this threat. And B, 
maybe so these kids can have a day to deal with the fact that their parent is dead. And he's like, no, uh, they can only use the hyperbolic time chamber once or twice in their life and we might need it later. So we're not going to use it right now. Which kind of makes sense, but kind of doesn't. And that was this week's episode of Dragon Ball Z Kai. Also, Bobbity blew up a dude's head. Bobbity blew up a dude's head. Uh, oh yeah, because uh, part of it is that he called for people to get information, and apparently Bobbity vastly under- misunderstood snitches get stitches. Uh, because one guy does call to snitch on Piccolo, Go Ten, and Trunks. And he's like, hey, I know these guys, they all were at this martial arts tournament that I was running. Uh, These are their names. And he's like, okay, I don't care about their names. Do you know where they are? And he's like, no, why would I know that? And then he explodes his head and says, if you waste my time with useless information, then I will kill you. Which um, doesn't usually make people excited to share their information. So... Grant, what did you think of this week's episode? It was fine. The lane plot was stupid, but what else is new? Like, I'm I'm beyond expecting anything reasonable out of anything involving Zack. Yeah. Uh, if anything, it was just nice to have Zack being an asshole in a way where the show expects us to not like him. Yeah. Um, and- was kind of refreshing, and Lane telling him off felt good, but... Well, and there was one layer I wish they had brought out in addition to, like, the Brian-Zack stuff. One thing that they didn't choose to highlight that would have been interesting is that they mention, like, Brian mentions when he's setting up at this venue that this was the first concert he ever went to. Was it at this concert venue? Like, he snuck into some show that was a band that was just starting to get big and has gotten bigger since. And that's just a throwaway line before Gil says that he, like, got together with a girl at the venue. But the thing is, that means that this is an incredibly important night to Brian on a level that we're never going to engage with because he's a side character on a lane plot. But he is playing for a record label in the venue where he first, like, fell in love with live rock music. And Brian's a dweeby guy. He's not cool. He's got an inhaler that he uses during shows. You know, he's always kind of played off as a dweeby joke, but he's a sweet guy. And now this sweet guy who isn't the definition of rock and roll is playing on the stage that launched a band that he loved that was the first live show he went to. He is legit now. He's playing for a label. He's got a showcase. Like, this is a huge night for Brian and because he tried to do something nice for a friend of his who's in the band and his move was misunderstood because we have no evidence that he's into Lane. We've never had any evidence that he's pining for her or anything like that. So it seemed like his friend was sad that she didn't have a song. He wrote her a song because he thought it would be fun and he wanted to write some music. And because of that, his best friend blew up every chance they had to make it big. Like, that's interesting human drama right there. Yep, but fuck that. Yeah. We're gonna focus on Zack throwing a hissy fit for no thoroughly explained reason. Yay! Like, they didn't even give us a dumb token reason why Zack was being such an asshole. Like, why was he being so aggressive? Why was he suddenly being so possessive about Lane? Like, Zack has his issues, but being possessive about Lane hasn't been one of them. Well, I think what it is is... We could read it through a lens of guilt. Like, he was doing this thing for the band that he thought was good, that he was putting these girls' names in bands, and then his girlfriend got mad at him and called out something that he was doing wrong, that he hadn't made her feel special or important and had highlighted his experiences with ex-girlfriends. Then, when he was trying to do something that he thought would be cool for the band... And, like, help them with this gig because he's focused on himself, but he's focused on how he can make himself and the band look better by using this stupid wireless mic and doing crowd surfing, sure. Uh, And he finds out that while he's been spending time on that, his friend has been spending time on, from his perspective, maybe trying to woo Lane, 
but at the very least stepping up in the way that he didn't do. I would assume there's some shame, there's some guilt, and Zach has the emotional maturity of a five-year-old on testosterone. And so the way that he exhibits this is putting more, like, his ego growing and him taking it out on the band's chances. And that's not a good excuse. I would say that, you know, even if we can reason in a way, kids, if you ever see your partner acting this way, dump them. Because even if there's an explanation, it's not a good one. But I think that shame and guilt and jealousy have all combined into a stupid amalgamation here, but they just don't take the time to actually deal with it. Yeah, like, that all sounds reasonable, but that's also weebs with ice machines, because the episode gives us absolutely no indication that that's why that's happening. Nope. So, like, whatever, the lame plot was dumb. Um, the... The Luke stuff, I just... I can't get a read on the Luke stuff. Yeah. I mean, I obviously dislike the fact that he doesn't, like, that when they literally just last episode had a talk of we need to tell each other things. Yep. Is now hiding something from her. Yep. And doesn't seem torn up about it. That's frustrating. But that aside, like, that that sucks, but whatever. That aside, it's just I'm not clear where his head is at when it comes to this whole April thing. Yeah. And I know part of the point is that he's not Mm -hmm. quite sure where his head's at because he's still processing it. But that doesn't help us understand where he's at in his confusion. Yeah, like, I need more. I need more from this huge, earth-shaking thing the show has swung at us. Well, and even just this episode makes it feel like they haven't really thought about it, aside from it being a plot that's supposed to be shocking. We talked last episode about how this was probably a one-night stand because there were three people it could be. But... As soon as he says, I have a daughter and she's 12. Like, yeah, Liz knows exactly who Liz it is. Liz knows exactly who it is. It's a woman that she knows. So it could be even that they were friends and maybe they slept together one night when they got drunk. Who knows? But like, this is someone who he had an active, like long enough relationship with, whether it was romantic or not, that his sister can peg exactly who this was. Yeah, like, well, and she also follows up with like, hey... It's not like you slept around a lot. Like, you could have. You were cute. A lot of girls liked you, but you've always been a serial monogamist. Right. So, like, Liz specifically says that Luke has never been the kind of guy to be into one-night stands. Right. So, like, was the deal that Anna was cheating on him, and that's why there were three possible fathers? Like, it feels like they put the daughter first and then are trying to figure out what that means afterward. Also, that once again introduces weird timeline shenanigans with Rachel. Right. Like, the whole thing makes no sense. And then the way he's the way he's reacting to it makes no sense. And yeah, so it's frustrating. And it all just feels like this great big contrived thing to cause another blow up between Lorelai and Luke that we don't need at this point in the show. Oh, it gets more contrived. I'm sure it gets more contrived, but like it already is too contrived. Yep. So like whatever like i it's hard it's hard because when he's talking about christopher and how yeah it's fine that you're talking to christopher and and he needs to do this and it makes sense and blah 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 it's like we see the real luke come back for Mm -hmm. half a scene yep and then he's gone again yep and it's like god damn it the christopher stuff was there i think that he got gets off a little too easy on the fact that the last time he spoke to Lorelai he inadvertent like he had a hand in causing her and Luke to break up well um and just generally made an ass of himself and I feel like he doesn't even try to apologize for that which is frustrating and also I felt like they were very quick to jump into this when Rory has been burned before uh and when Lorelai has been burned before on what catches money have with Richard and Emily, and they kind of vaguely almost allude to, like, no catches, but they don't really. So, uh, you'd think it would be fair, especially when their relationship with Christopher has become so fraught, they haven't talked for a year, that they haven't asked, like, hey, do you have any expectations for this? Like, what is our relationship supposed to look like if you're paying this money? Yeah, like, we're just supposed to kind of act like Christopher's always been a regular part of the show all of a sudden. Right. And the other thing is, I think 
I I don't know from experience, but I've seen other people like if you have a fraught relationship with your distant father and he's paying for your college, like what does that mean for your relationship is a question that deserves to be asked and processed. But they just kind of go like free money and then run off. Yeah, that that was it wasn't necessarily bad, but it was just no. sort of weird and confusing. Yeah. Like, the other thing that I was really frustrated with is this episode did not need to have Liz. See, I feel like it was useful to have Luke to have somebody other than Lorelai as a sounding board for what he's going through right now. Yeah, I I think you're right, and better Liz than TJ. Yeah, I think that I actually kind of appreciated Liz's presence in this episode because it gave Luke somebody else to talk to about this without interrupting the flow of the Lorelai and Rory story that's still evolving of Rory coming back. I think the thing that frustrates me is that for one thing, he knows he can't trust Liz not to not say anything. Because if Liz says anything to, like, she probably would be smart enough not to say anything to TJ, but if she does, and sometimes she does, then it's all over town. And then we have this whole, like, baggage scene of all this stuff of Liz putting together a failed Thanksgiving dinner and then all her Ren Fair friends who are for some reason also just, like, weird people. Like, either they, you know, are playing, uh, oh, what's that game called? With the knives. Five Finger Filet. Yeah, Five Finger Filet at the dinner table at a nice inn or a guy with no thumbs, you know, like they just some guy with kill em all tattooed on his forehead. It definitely felt like they wrote an entire script about Liz uh, hanging out with carnies. Yes. And, and then at the end of the episode went, wait, fuck, no, her thing was Renfair, not carnies, shit. And then just went and control effed <laughs> in Renfair instead of carnival. Well, the other thing that I would have been more interested in, and I can see why they wouldn't do it because it's kind of a more... Like, this is not something that's appropriate to tell someone who's in a child role rather than a sibling role. But I would have been more interested in how Jess deals with this. Like, Luke tells Jess that he has a kid and he's like, oh, you knocked a girl up. Oh, you know, like, Jess would have an interesting reaction to that. And I would have been more interested in what he thought. Because I feel like he would give him a hard time, but we've also got a more mature Jess who he and Luke have worked through this weird journey of processing their feelings through self-help tape together. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see them talk about that. Yeah, it's really a crime that we didn't get any Jess-Luke in that episode where Jess came back. Right, but the problem with it being Liz, like, from a relationship perspective, it makes sense, but she's just kind of a wet fish there who just says, great, and then doesn't really offer anything. Yeah, I like the scene in concept, but in execution, it did not work. It did not work, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then the whole Logan thing, I feel like the whole Rory Logan thing was an artifact from a version of the show that never happened. Yeah, because it wasn't clear that they broke up. I mean, she called him an asshole and stormed out of the restaurant. I I guess they, so. And then they never spoke afterwards. Like, they didn't speak for weeks afterwards. So I can see how that communication, miscommunication happened. That's true. It's just, I'm used to TV where, like, somebody cannot appear for a few weeks and they're still dating. It's not a big deal. But I mean more in the sense of her getting a phone call from Honor. That felt weird. That felt weird. And it's frustrating because I would like the version of the Rory Logan plot where Rory also became friends with Logan's older sister. I would like the version of the Rory Logan plot where there was drama about, like, whether or not she's invited to Thanksgiving dinner at the Huntsberger house. Because Honor's just like, oh, I was surprised when you weren't at dinner. And it's like, are they at the point in the relationship where she's coming over for Thanksgiving with his family? The family who actively doesn't approve of her? Right. And Honor shouldn't be surprised by that. Or is it something where Logan didn't communicate the breakup and she got a call to be at Thanksgiving dinner? Like, what happened in this family? I also want that information. Yeah, so like these were, on their own, these weren't bad ideas for plots, but they just didn't come together. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, that's what I thought. What did you think of this week's Dragon Ball Z, Kai? It's hard to say. Um, It's not even that I'm split. I just don't know how I feel. I... This was kind of a point A to point B episode. 
This is a point A to point B episode. I wish I was more into the Supreme Kai stuff that's happening with Gohan because in a different universe, Gohan goes to the Supreme Kai's planet to pull a sword out of a stone and become a legendary hero sounds cool. But I hate the Supreme Kai and Kabito so much because <laughs> they're so useless and they they're are. so ineffective and they just kind of snipe at each other about their plans and then will ultimately be pointless. Like, because I know that the fusion thing is probably going to be the thing that beats Boo. I don't have any hope that this Z sword is going to do anything. I don't. I don't know why it's called the Z-Sword or where it came from if generations of Supreme Kais can't lift it. Like, there's obviously a cool backstory to the sword that we're not getting. Uh, Yeah, you really can just smell the irrelevance of this plot a mile away, can't you? You can, and it's really sad because this would be cool if it wasn't irrelevant. I actually, I have a note here of, oh right, the Z-Sword. (laughs) <laughs> like i i'm glad that you picked this up right away so i can be upfront about the fact that the z sword is the z sword is not going to fucking matter in the slightest i'm not shocked at all and it, it's too cool for it to not matter but it's obvious that it won't matter by the fact that they're not setting this up with any weight i i don't know how i feel about this whole like the, the villain piping his voice into everyone's brains getting them to look for the heroes And if they don't, he's going to destroy the entire planet city by city in five days is super cool on paper. It's a cool setup. Like, honestly, I dig this setup. Super cool setup. But it is still undermined. Uh, For one thing, it's Boo. So he's turning them all into candy and eating them, which just makes it feel like they aren't taking this plot seriously. And I know you don't want to scare kids. That's fair. But uh, I'm pretty sure some kids are way more scared by you get turned into candy and eaten than they would be by just people getting killed. Totally. Like, getting turned into candy and eaten alive is way more terrifying than just, like, vaguely cities getting wiped out in a flash of light. Like, in a different version, he's the candy man, and, like, kids would have nightmares for years. Um, Which, like, if you're going to do that, then lean into it. Make Boo an imposing villain by leaning into that childishness. Like... You yeah. can do that. You can do that properly. Like, I, I, I'm i thinking of, like, Baby Doll on Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. Where she had, uh, she had a disorder where she never aged. Mm-hmm. And so she was just this, like, in the body of a little girl dressed up like a little baby doll. But she was a freaking, like, criminal mastermind. And she was creepy. And it well, worked. And if they don't want to do creepy, they don't have to. But... And I don't know how a kid would react to this because I don't have the mind of a child anymore, thank God. But, like, kids are scared by weird things. Like, I had nightmares for years about the hypnotism episode of Scooby-Doo. Lots of kids are scared of going down the drain. I could totally believe a man can come out of nowhere and turn you into candy and then you're dead. It's terrifying. Oh, totally. Please shout out in the comments if you as a child were terrified by Boo. Um... (laughs) But watching it as an adult, he's just fucking ridiculous. And annoying. And I think the uh, like the other thing that undercuts it is the cool thing about the plot of these are the men you are looking for, where are you going to go, is not just the drama of are they going to turn themselves in, because that's there and that's interesting. But like, how are the Z fighters going to operate with everyone looking at them? Uh, I think the thing I'm enjoying most with that plot right now is the comic Crowded. Uh, where it's near future, a woman has her assassination crowdfunded and literally everyone and anyone is trying to kill her. And that could be this plot where it would be cool if the Z fighters are trying to exist in a world where everyone's looking for them and trying to turn them in and turning in their information. And yes, they could kill anyone before they turn in this information, but they don't want to do that because they're heroes. So how are they hiding and making sure that Boot and Bobbity don't get their information? But that drama's not there. They're on the watchtower. No one's ever going to find them. I wish they'd found an excuse for why they couldn't go to Dende's lookout. Right. Because it, then you'd have a better reason to not have the hyperbolic time chamber than what if we need it later? Which, like, I'm sorry, Goku, there is, like, literally the entire world is at stake. This is a time when you use the time chamber. Pop out another kid, Goku, it'll be fine. No. Yeah, like, <sighs> this is when you use the time chamber, Goku. Uh, and... Just like 
Yeah, like you said, there's no drama in the manhunt element of it because nobody on Earth is ever going to find them. Heck, even in a different version of the show, once again, we'd be worried that, like, Yamcha or Yadrobi, one of the cowards, maybe Krillin, but probably not Krillin, like, are they going to turn them in in order to protect their safety? But everybody knows that that's not going to keep them safe. And so there's no drama in anyone on the watchtower turning themselves in. You'd almost think that that was a reason to leave Bulma's parents on the planet on purpose, but there is no way Bulma would sell out her kid for her parents. Yeah. Like, it's not because it's Bulma. If it was somebody else, then, like, there might be a little more confliction, but also, like, that plus the fact that two of the people they're looking for are children. Yeah. Like, if, if the story played out a little differently and it was, like, we're looking for Goku, Piccolo, and Vegeta, right? Then maybe somebody like Yamcha might be tempted to turn them in because like, well, Goku's dead anyway. Like Goku's going to disappear in 24 hours. So no harm, no foul on him. And like Piccolo and Vegeta, yeah, they've helped us out some, but they've also done some bad stuff. I'm not, I mean, is, is Piccolo and Vegeta is handing them over? Like that might be a worthwhile price to pay if it means that the rest of us get to live. Cause you know, and like that gets into a weird trolley problem situation. Well, and they try to give it, like, us a human element to it. And this is, you know, going back to the fact that Dragon Ball is was originally a gag show. We kind of get a jokey side of it where we zoom in on people where it's, like, one student who's like, I've been studying for exams for seven weeks, and if I die tomorrow, then why was I not partying? And then we get a couple where we get, you know, even with five seconds of her, we get a classic nag of a woman because it's a Toriyama woman, uh, yelling about how she and her husband were about to get married and like, oh, they were doing so much planning and so much money and now we're going to be dead and oh no. And there's no outrage over the fact that these are kids. Like, it's obvious that the people who are being hunted down and killed are children. Yeah, no one seems bothered by the fact that there's two kids involved. Yeah. Or any questions about the green-skinned guy with pointy ears. Nope. I mean, they do live in a world with cat people, but they they do seem to just kind of take Piccolo for granted, which is weird. But yeah, you'd think that somebody would be like, he's a monster, he's trying to kill kids, and then someone else is like, well, my kid will die if he did. Like, these are things they can't grapple with on a kid's show, but... Like, it could have been it could have been the Dark Knight boat scene. Right, exactly. Or even the, uh, to a lesser extent, the Spider-Man train scene from Spider-Man 2, where it's like, he's just a kid, and so we're going to come together to protect him. Yeah. You just get a lot of people who would turn him in if they knew anything, but they don't, so they can't. Yeah, so that was like a good idea that this period of the Buu Saga in particular, you can definitely tell is when Toriyama was at his most flailing. Yeah. Because he's like, oh, let's try this. Wait, shit, that's not working. Oh, let's try this. Wait, shit, that's not working. And we kind of have had that since the Saiyaman arc. But yeah. like from from Vegeta's sacrifice up through like a part later this season, like next season, there's this weird block where Great. he was just kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck. Because like the Z sword, you can already tell is that like, yeah. Oh, what if Gohan, like, trains with the Kais and gets a magic sword? Maybe that's a thing. Wait, no, that's a bad idea. Yeah. And that that is going to be short enough that I don't feel bad telling you that you can tell the exact moment he goes, wait, that's a bad idea, and pivots. It's actually kind of funny. So, like, Toriyama's scrambling right now at this part in the story, and I think that if memory serves, he is able to pull it together later in a way that still works. But the Boo Saga is suffers from a lack of focus that it never quite recovers from because of stuff like this. Yeah. Do you have any questions about Gilmore Girls? Uh, just one. Does Christopher live in that diner? Sure, why not? We just... Christopher meets them at the same diner multiple times. Like, doesn't he have a, a house... Probably a big one now. Probably. I would hope a big one now. Or at least he used to have an apartment, so maybe he just bought himself an apartment. But, well, and not only does he live in that diner, but, like, it is specifically, they meet up in this diner the second time on Thanksgiving Day. Like... Yeah, where are his awful parents? Where are his awful parents? Where is his I mean, daughter? maybe he's gonna go meet with them later. 
this yeah there's this weird thing i don't know like how other families do it but a lot of families i know including mine tend to meet up for thanksgiving dinner which is kind of in quote marks because you tend to meet up noon three you know, yeah it's usually like a there. weird late lunch Right, it's a weird late lunch that kind of just stretches into the from the afternoon to the evening. But the only thing we see here is And then at like ten AM or like ten PM you scramble downstairs and warm up some turkey. Right. But instead we see Suki putting out the dinner at a normal dinner time and Rory and Lorelai like get maybe lunch with Christopher and they all talk about how they've never actually been together on Thanksgiving before. So this place, like this cafe is open with a normal menu during normal hours with a normal sized crowd and then later in the episode while while Liz is still trying to put her meal together Luke still has the diner open with normal customer load while she's trying to cook a Thanksgiving dinner it's not even like these are the people who couldn't go home for Thanksgiving and they're eating a meal together like, at a restaurant? No, it's just kind of weird. The Thanksgiving element to this episode just didn't come together. No. Uh, that's my only question about this episode. I've got a question. Okay, give me, what are your, what what question do you have? I mean, I think we should just, like, talk about that it's weird that Chris, like, keeps trying to offer Lorelai things. I just, there's nothing to discuss, whatever. Chris is a dumbass. I just, I don't. But then, he, like, Lorelai treats him paying Rory's tuition as a weird offer. Yeah, when you'd think that would be offer number one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it was already understood that Emily and Richard were paying for it, but still. Yeah, but, but I mean, she knows that Rory and Emily and Richard had a falling out. Like, that, sh- that should seem like... Why was that not a problem that they were trying to deal with? Yeah, I don't know. Like, are they still paying for her school now that she's run off because i believe emily would be vindictive enough to withhold the tuition right it's just uh okay it's messy um so in dragon ball yeah what questions do you have for me about dragon ball it's mentioned that boo is going to destroy the world in five days at the pace he's going yes he's taking a leisurely pace through the cities even if he went all night the pace he's going at wouldn't destroy the entire world's population within five days. Is the Dragon Ball world smaller than ours? Um, I think you can kind of, um, you can kind of infer that it is. Okay. Uh, there are multiple occasions of like, I mean, the whole point of the original Dragon Ball is that they were globe trotting, looking for the Dragon Balls. And there are just there are a couple different points at which the entire world, like global scale stuff happens, and it does always seem like it's not that much. You yeah. get the vibe that there are only a handful of major major cities, um, and like if you if you really want to dig into it and go by like the video games, that you know it's a small enough world map that you can zoom around it in a video game. Right. So it does seem to be that Dragon Ball's version of Earth is not as densely populous as ours is. And so, yeah, at the base, at the, at the pace Boo was going and the time it would take for each city, he would not be able to clear out, uh, the world in five days. I don't even know if he'd be able to clear out America in five days, but the world's smaller and like, you know, he can probably go a little faster. That's fair. They talk in this episode about how it doesn't matter if everyone dies via boo because they can all be wished back and that's why they shouldn't give themselves up, right? Mm-hmm. What about all the people who died by Vegeta's hand at the World Martial Arts Tournament? They would have died once already. And if I remember right, this world's Dragon Ball still can only bring you back once. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's been a stat. I, I'm If I remember right, when they handed the Dragon Balls off to Dende... The stipulation was still that you can only be wished back once. I right. think. So are they just all cool with those people being dead? Um, I mean, sucks to say, but if it's those people versus the entire world. Oh, yeah. Right. Just, like, it feels weird that they like completely forgot they exist because they're treating it like everyone can be brought back. Yeah, I think that. I mean, the thing is roundabout they theoretically could be because like okay we wish everybody back oh fuck there were some people we couldn't wish back well there's always new namek that's true and like we like we tend to forget about new namek because really if they had easy access to new namek then there would 
be no narrative tension ever because the Namekian Dragon Balls can wish you back as many times as you want. So it's a good thing that New Namek is hard to get to. Otherwise, there would just genuinely be no drama ever. Yeah. Um, but that's the best no prize I got. I know it's not a good one. Yeah, especially because you'd have to wish them back one by one. Um, How did Kabito not know about the Dragon Balls? He seemed to think that his resurrection was miraculous and confusing. Uh, Well, you've said yourself, and we have established that uh, Supreme Kai and Kibito did a really, really bad job of researching Earth before they came here. That's true. Um, <laughs> That's enough of an excuse. Do we ever find out who made the Z-Sword, why it's called the Z-Sword, any of the lore behind this thing? Um, I don't remember exactly how much we learn, but there is more to the Z-Sword than has been said. Okay. Um, so I'm going to say tentative yes, because I know what comes next with the Z-Sword, and it probably will come with at least a throwaway line of some lore behind how it was made. Okay. This isn't really a question, but an observation. This isn't a question, more of a comment. Uh... Why is this show so kid-centric now? I know I know it's a show meant for children. I know it's originally meant as a gag show. But, like, the amount, the percentage of this time that was either spent on Boo or Trunks and Goten has just been growing over time. And so more and more of the show is spent with obnoxious children. And I wonder why they chose to do that. It is weird. I think the the desire to go back to a more juvenile sensibility is a desire to go back to the original Dragon Ball. That would make sense. Because, like, Goku was a kid in the original Dragon Ball, and it generally had a more juvenile sense of humor. But it doesn't really work. No. Um, but I can see it's Toriyama trying to kind of get the magic back, even if he's not quite doing it right. Yeah. Um, and... I mean, the show's always kind of been kid-centric and that Gohan has always been a centerpiece of it. Yeah. But I see what you mean and that the point has always been that Gohan is a child in a very dire situation, whereas Boo is a very childish villain. Um, I don't know if there's an intelligent answer to that question other than a vain attempt to get the magic of the original Dragon Ball back and just an attempt to do something different because... For all you can say bad about Boo, and it's all justified, he is at least not just another... He's not another pretentious megalomaniac. Yeah. Which, although Frieza and Cell are very different characters, they also both fit into that role. So I think it was the attempt of just making a villain who is very, very different from Frieza and from Cell. And a demonstration on why different isn't always good. Yeah. So, uh... Do you have any questions about Dragon Ball? Um, I don't. Oh, I do, actually. I'm surprised you didn't mention this. Um, why doesn't Chi-Chi have any feelings about what's going on right now? Great question. You'd think Chi-Chi would have something to say about Goten and Trunks being used for fighting. Yep. And you'd think Chi-Chi would have something, would have a useful input on, and Bulma, would have useful input on getting Goten and Trunks to not cry over the fact that Vegeta and Gohan are dead. Yeah, and just, like, the fact that their image is being displayed to the entire world saying, kill this child. Yeah, like, I really want the backup fight, like, the the, the B-listers input here, because mm-hmm. I would really love to see Chi-Chi's reaction to the situation, Bulma's reaction to the situation, and honestly... I feel like this could have been a moment for Videl to shine. Oh, yeah. Because I would love to see Videl talking Goten. Like, I want to see Videl and Goten's scene here. Yeah. Because Videl is also heartbroken at Go- that Gohan's gone. Like, they haven't totally dug into it, but in that little moment of, like, wait, how can you really be gone? You get that little vibe of, like, oh, fuck, I'm falling in love with him and he's dead. Yep. Like, you see her process that just a little bit. Yeah. And I would like to dig into that more of like, oh, yeah. oh, no, I'm realizing I'm falling in love with this guy, but also he is dead and all this other crazy shit's happening. So like maybe he can be wished back because I just saw a dragon wish people back. So maybe it's not a huge deal that he's dead. But so it, she's trying to. I, I would say it's not a swap with Gilmore Girls. It's a swap with Bunheads. <laughs> yeah. 
And so, like, she's trying to process all of this. And so I would love to see her having to be like, okay, I haven't known this kid for very long, but we have, we did train together for a little bit, so she knows this child. Mm-hmm. And they've both just suffered the same loss. Yep. And so for her to try to talk to him and, I mean, not to reduce Videl to she's a teenage girl and therefore has babysitter instincts, but... To have Videl have babysitter instincts and well, have and this she's difficult... trained with Goten before. Yeah, and to have this difficult conversation with Goten, I feel like it could give both of those characters some depth that they lack. Yeah. So that's my frustration with this episode, in that what could have been an interesting moment was just boiled down to Goku shouting, hey, stop crying. Yep. But I do think Goku and Piccolo in this episode were interesting. Okay, say more. Goku and Piccolo, again, are experiencing the same thing right now. Uh They both are experiencing, my son is dead, and the world is in peril, and it's falling on us to do something about it in a seemingly impossible situation. Yeah. Goku's response to this is to get very stern, to get very aggressive, and to get very pragmatic. And Mm -hmm. say, look, people are going to die, it's gonna suck, we can wish them back. We need to not be be emotional and we need to not be uh, uh, sensitive right now. We need to do what needs to be done. We can have time to feel later. Whereas Piccolo's the one who's frozen and freaking out and being like, oh my God, all these people are going to die. What do we do? This is bad. We need to do something about it. Yeah. And that's kind of a role reversal for the two of them because usually Piccolo is the pragmatic one and Goku is the one saying a problem. I'm a punch it. Yeah. But we got it backwards because Piccolo says like, I'll offer myself up to boo. I'll try to fight him. It'll buy us some time at least. Like he's like, I'm going to go fight boo. Yeah. And Goku has to be the one to talk Piccolo out of taking drastic action. So it's interesting that this same tragedy has caused both Goku and Piccolo to have an overt emotional reaction that's different than their usual MO, but in different ways. Yeah. And I don't think it's out of character for either of them. No. And it's just interesting because losing Gohan is something like, Goku has died, Vegeta's died, Piccolo's died, Krillin's died. We've seen everyone have to deal with losing everyone else, but there's always been this notion that like Gohan's kind of sacred. Yeah. And you don't touch Gohan. And for a good chunk of the show, it's because Gohan was literally a child. Like, Toriyama's not, I mean, he killed Dende, but Toriyama's not going to fucking murder Gohan. That's too dark, even for the darker parts of this show. But now Gohan is like 15. That's like anime 30. You can do whatever you want to him. Yeah. And so it's this weird reality check for everybody of like, oh my God, Gohan's not invincible anymore. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was really interesting. That's fair. Um, who do you want to swap? I want to swap Bobbity and Christopher. Okay. Because I want to see Christopher be like, hey guys, uh, I don't know how you can all, you can all hear my, my voice. I'm using like magic stuff, but look, I just got filthy rich. I can get you all whatever you want. You want a castle? You want a working civil war cannon? You want me to put you through college? Uh, like he can, he'll offer to pay for those people's wedding. He'll offer to pay for that guy's school after he aces those exams Everything like all you gotta do is bring me these three guys, um, and I'll give you whatever you want. And I thought that would diffuse the situation because then Yamcha would be like, "Give me enough money that I can trick somebody into loving me," and he'd be like, "Dope." Yamcha gets a trophy wife. Christopher gets the people he wants, uh, but he's not gonna kill all of them because that's weird. I don't know. Maybe he would. And he's a weenie. And he's a weenie. They beat up Christopher. Uh, there. Problem solved. Uh, meanwhile, Bobbity blows up Zack's head. Fair enough. Uh, I want to swap Suki and Trunks. Okay. I'll admit I don't have any thoughts really on why Suki's there. Uh, she'd get to eat some good food and probably chat with Mr. Popo about cooking tips and ways to make food better on the Watchtower. Oh, Suki and Popo would make, like, the greatest banquet feast for everybody up on the lookout. There's a ton of people there right now. And it's Thanksgiving, apparently. It's Thanksgiving, apparently. Uh, meanwhile, we have Trunks at the dinner table with all of Liz's Renfair friends, uh, yelling that his father said that you need to have manners and shut up. 
And so we have a tiny angry child yelling at all of Liz's Ren Faire friends. Also, since when does Vegeta care about table manners? Right. Vegeta sat on a pile of alien corpses while eating one of them with his bare hands. Right. That'd be more of a Bulma thing. Yeah. But apparently Vegeta, in the years as his soul died and his fighting spirit decayed, cared a lot about table manners. Apparently. Well, that is this week's Gilmore Ball Z. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you on our social media. Uh, our Facebook is Gilmore Ball Z. Our Twitter is Gilmore Ball Z. Our email is GilmoreBallZ at gmail.com. And our WordPress is GilmoreBallZ.wordpress.com. Read us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. See you next Saturday. So, why didn't Bobbity explode people's heads sooner? That seems like a really useful power for a villain to have. Since when does Lorelai say woo? She said woo in this episode. It was weird. And could Suki keep up with Boo's appetite? Or would he eat a carny first? Find out next time on Gilmore Ball Z.